0: Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore... Let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing Which you have received from him who abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. We live in a hostile environment. The scripture says that the earth, the world, this world system lies in the lap of the wicked one. He created it. He created an environment that is contrary to those who would walk in the strength and help and guidance of God. But... He who abides in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, and not by just a little bit. I would invite you to go back again and read the passage that we began this service with, Isaiah 40. (laughs) There is no one who can stand on the same stage with the Creator God, who is loyal and loving and sustaining. That is the one in whom you work. John has already told us, we dwell in. I, John, First John 1, verse 1, let me declare again to you, those who have already <laughs> read my gospel, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and tabernacle, dwelt among us, and we be we, I and the other apostles and many other companions, beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I, John, can tell you. What I saw with my eyes, and again, First John chapter 1, what I saw with my eyes, what I heard with my ears, what my hands have handled concerning the word of life, what does authentic life drawn from the presence of the eternal God look like? I saw it walking before me for three plus years, and I was ushered into it, I have been Granted by the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ and his Father, and God the, by the incitement of God the Holy Spirit, I have been drawn into that same provision for my earthly walk I, in this hostile environment that I saw Jesus of Nazareth walk in. And what hindered him? Nothing. Nothing. No one could stand before him and defeat him at all. His human enemies who sought to trip him up always ran away in full defeat. In full defeat. Even the cross event, which they understood to be their final victory. We, the Jewish leadership, who have turned, who actually... 300 years before had already turned that temple into a den of thieves. It was to produce wealth for them from generation for that, for those temple leaders, generation after generation of wealth for them. They had turned it into a den of thieves. And Jesus came and they, he challenged them. He challenged them. He cleansed the temple at the beginning of his public ministry. At the end of his public ministry, he overturned the tables of the money changers, released the doves, they were making a fortune. And he, they, they could not allow him to succeed in breaking their criminal enterprise. And they thought they had succeeded by engineering his crucifixion. And all they did, from heaven's standpoint, was place the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on that altar that we call the cross. And while on that altar, he accepted the judgment that was due to the entire human race for an eternity. He accepted it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. Father, into your hands I dismiss my spirit. They actually... As the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, they engineered this offering that would pay sin's penalty for the entire human race, and they actually broke, ultimately broke their own power. And so we have the example of our Lord Jesus Christ accepting what looked and all of his dis apostles hid; they fled, even though he had announced to them repeatedly, "I am going to go to the to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be taken. up. I am going to be crucified. I'm going to be in the grave. I mean, on the uh, on the third day, I will rise from the dead." And the first time he announces that, in Matthew 16, Peter takes him aside and says, No! And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things that be of God, but the things that be from men. But he repeatedly told them, and yet I think there was a divine deafness and blindness. They remembered it later, what he had said, but they were so determined not to allow that to happen. And it happened, and then he rose, and they entered into the joy of their Lord. 1 John chapter 1. And now in chapter 2 verse 12, we find John the Apostle in the guidance of the Holy Spirit stepping back and addressing us and what we find here little children fathers young men these are the stages of christian maturity when you came to faith in christ what was it that captured your attention I write to you little children. Now, you can be a little child and be 50 years old. You're hearing the gospel at the age of 50. And what is the core of that message that captures your attention, captures your heart, captures your mind? You mean my sins can be forgiven? The debt of judgment that I owe for my sinful life? can be wiped clean. We just prayed for a fellow that his debt would be entirely wiped clean. Well, that is the promise of God to every member of the human race. If they simply say, yes, I want that. I believe, yes, Jesus, that you did pay sin's penalty for me. May I please also have that benefit And his uniform answer is, of course. I'm more eager to give it to you than you are to ask. And so as little children, (coughs) as we step into the kingdom, what is it that is the core of the message that draws us into his kingdom? The issue of the forgiveness of my sins. And we are so enraptured by that. I can remember I was in the first grade, child evangelism fellowship meeting. Red heart, black heart, white heart. And if you want a white heart, please raise your hand. And my hand shot into the air. I was so ecstatic. So ecstatic. And I had had tap dancing lessons. I was tap dancing. <laughs> and when I, one of the things the lady said to us, Child Evangelism Fellowship, tell your parents. And when I told my parents, I was tap, I was so excited. And they stood back and, What's he talking about? Because they did not understand the gospel as well as this six year old did. Little child. But the little child can be a man of 50 or woman of 50, whatever, or whatever age. There is that moment when we step into the kingdom and we are in that little child role. And what is the focus? Your sins are forgiven you for. His name's sake. What is his name? Great cross-reference. Psalm 99, verse 8. One of the names of God is, say this with me, El-Noshe. 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 The God who forgives. That's one of God's names. That's his reputation. The God who forgives. El-Noshe. He has forgiven you for his name's sake. That is one of his names. As you grow in your walk with, if you are authentically discipled. And by the way, and I love what, as we're going to get into the passage, who, is, who has the, the real responsibility for your growth in Christ, for you going through the process and becoming a mature Christian? You do. Notice, as, we're, as we get into this passage, what is he going to say? You have a Bible. Now, in the first century, a lot of people didn't because they couldn't afford one. But they went to the local congreg- meeting of the congregation, and the Scripture was read publicly. And, of course, people, as they were able, they took notes. But, you know, papyrus and all that, that costs money. It was only the very wealthy that had books, that had scrolls, but they would sit and listen. So I wasn't bothered by reading you an extended passage, because that was the standard format in the early church. They got the word by listening at the public meeting, and they went home in the meeting, and then as they went home, Lord Please enable me to walk in your word. And they would meditate on what they had heard. And as they went from child loving, reveling in their forgiveness, they also came to understand, as John has already laid out to us in the first chapter, we have been welcomed into the presence of the eternal God, the joy of, of dwelling in his presence here and now. Fathers, fathers, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Who am I? I'm a son of Adam, a member of a sinful fallen human race whom God has forgiven, cleansed, filled me with his Holy Spirit, he is welcoming me into into his presence. You have known him who is from the beginning. No matter how far back you go, he's there to meet you. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And of course, as you welcome the gospel... As you are cleansed, as you step into relationship with God, you discover more and more and more as you pursue Christ, the hostility of your surroundings. Not just from people, but from Satan himself. And you have to do what the Holy Spirit lays before you in Ephesians chapter 6. You have to learn about the whole armor of God and how to put on it. Put it on. And how to make use of that helmet of salvation. That outlook that I am I'm going to step into ultimate deliverance. You need to learn how to use that sword of the Spirit and that shield. And walk in with the sandals of the gospel. And tying up the loose... And the, your garments so that the enemy can't grab hold of something. You need to learn how to do all the. And so you learn, and yes, it's difficult. Yes, you will be bruised. Yes, you will have to fight. but you there is a spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual warfare. And you learn how to do those things. You learn how to step away from your own fallen nature and walk in the power of another person, the equipping of another person, the presence of another person, namely God the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. That's a learned thing. And you have to unlearn your old method of life at the same time that you're learning a new method, format of life. And so I write to you, fathers, who have known him who was from the beginning, what an incredible place to live. I can dwell right now and enjoy the presence of the eternal God, in whose presence there is joy evermore. But I also am about the business of being a warrior. About the business of being a warrior. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Put yourself, picture yourself in in this way you're a small child of a poverty stricken family. You may even be an orphan, and you're sitting at the side of a dirt road with a tin cup you are a beggar and someone walks by who is dressed in glorious glorious clothing maybe with the 10 people attending him or her and instead of just dropping a coin in your cup they walk up to you and say you belong to me, and they pick you up in their arms and carry you home to their estate, have the servants bathe you, (laughs) clothe you in fine clothes, and sit you at the dinner table, and then declare to you, tomorrow I'm taking you to the courthouse and I am going To adopt you. I am going to adopt you. I will be your father. I will be your father. I will take your nurture, your care, as my responsibility. And so, this small child, first, my sins are forgiven. I have a father. I'm not an orphan in this world. I'm not left to myself. I've been picked up. I've been adopted. I've been I'm declared an heir, a son, an heir of this generous, merciful person's estate. How do I go from a beggar at the sturdy beggar at the side of the road to the... Because that is what your God is like. And he has welcomed you as your father. I've written to you fathers. Again, because you have known him who is from the beginning. You, did you hear me the first time? Well, I'm saying it again. You've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You've defeated Satan. You've defeated Satan. (laughs) That angel... Who was the leading angel? I read, go back and read Ezekiel 28. He is the king of Tyre. He's portrayed as the king of Tyre. He is that leading angel. Before his fall, he was the prime minister of heaven. Got lifted up by his own glorious appearance and the sound of his own voice. And decided he needed the worship that belonged only to God. And he rose in rebellion and got cast down. That is a mighty angel. And you have been strengthened by God, equipped by God to defeat that mighty angel. Talk about humiliating. You're a creature of dust. Defeating that mighty angel. You have overcome the wicked one. There is another attraction. There is another field of battle. There is the direct attack that comes from the devil himself. But there is also that environment that you live in that is constantly making sales pitches to us about how we ought to elevate this, value that, value. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, the world, I'm talking about the stuff. It's just stuff. It's not necessarily inherently sinful, but when you worship it, when you give it greater value than you ought to, especially as a displacement for the promises of God, you subverted yourself. You subverted yourself. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't <coughs> simultaneously love and value the Father and the world system. They're in contradiction to each other. And the world, the the gifts of the world, by the way, just weigh you down and hinder you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that which is which you would do to satisfy the flesh, whether sexually or by food or whatever, the lust of the eyes, I tell you what, folks. I would love to have a 1948 Chevy pickup. I just love 1948 Chevy, they are just so gorgeous. I've always wanted to. They're gorgeous. But you know what? The day is coming, they're all gonna fall to rust. They aren't a suitable, there's no suitable comparison between a 1948 Chevy pickup and the gifts of God that he will grant to us in his eternal realm. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all that stuff that is waved in front of us, that's nice and polished and shiny, and the pride of life. Well, well, you folks, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. The pride of life. No, no. We are to be worshipers of God, and so are those people. We are to incite people to worship God, not us. Don't draw attention to yourself. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and all the sales pitches and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever and you'll step into kingdom glory. And we don't even have a frame of reference to get what that means. It's so outrageously fantastic. Little children. It is the last hour. Now, one of the great points understandings we are to have about the Christian walk is that every generation from the time of Jesus' resurrection until whenever Jesus does yank us out of here has had the right to understand that Jesus could yank us out of here at any moment. By the way, that is extremely helpful to us in our walk in this hostile world. Why would I want to lay hold of stuff I'm going to be pulled away from at any moment? Every generation has had a right to understand that Jesus, who is coming, as Jesus says more than once, I'm coming as a thief. That is, I'm coming unexpectedly. Thieves don't send you a postcard telling you, okay, I'm showing up at your house at 2 a.m., please have your doors unlocked. They don't do that. (laughs) They come when you think you are least expecting it, when you're not watching. And Jesus says, I'm going to come when there is no reason to expect me at that moment. At that moment, I will be coming. Be aware of that. And so hold the things of this world loosely. I'm coming when you don't expect it. And every generation has had a right to accept it that possibility, and make choices on what we value based on that reality. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Let me give you a, a grammatical help here. Antichrist, well, the the. By the way, that's a transliteration. In the Greek text, it says Antichrist. The Greek prefix anti can mean against, but it can also mean in the place of. A fake Christ. Now, the emperor, as John is writing this letter, the emperors of the Roman Empire demanded worship. Worship. Why did Christians get burned at the stake? Why did they get thrown to the lions? Why did they get crucified? Why did they get beheaded? Because they wouldn't worship the emperor. They insisted that only the true Christ, true anointed of God, was worthy of worship. And so they got executed, beaten, all kinds of penalties laid on them. Well, the, in the book of Revelation, this same person, capital A Antichrist, is called the beast. But what is it about him that makes him the Antichrist? He is not going to say to the world, this isn't the, big, the, the first statement of his campaign, I am against that fellow Jesus of Nazareth, although he is. He actually will say to the Jewish people, Halfway through that seven-year tribulation period, he will be standing in their temple, being given a guided tour of their temple, and he will turn to them and say to them, you fellows need to know something. You need to be worshiping me because I am your Messiah. I am your Christ. I'm the anointed one of God, so you need to be worshiping me. And that's when the blinders will fall off the Jewish eyes, and they will step back and say, uh, do not going to happen, pal. But he will claim to be the Messiah, the Christ. There are many antichrists now, the Roman emperors who demanded worship, were Christ's substitutes. Yes, they were against Jesus of Nazareth, but they also claimed to be the ones worthy of worship. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. This is what we would expect to see of an environment that will bring forward the capital A Antichrist. They went out from us. Now he's talking about their congregations. And there was more than one congregation that, read this, that had this letter read to them. They went out from us. They were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. What's he saying? People have departed from your congregation. They came in saying a certain thing about themselves. And as they dwelled in the congregation, as, as they were welcomed and so forth, and maybe had significant roles, over the course of time they started expressing doubt, conflicting worldviews from what is from God's word, and they disclosed and they went out for because you. Properly wouldn't put up with it, they went out from you. They left. They departed. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. By the way, read the gospel accounts. Many people who were called disciples turned away from Jesus and walked away from him. So this isn't new. And it wasn't even new in the, it, with the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. There were always people throughout the ages when authentic prophets spoke that would join them, follow them, and then over the course of time depart Because they didn't want to be steadfast with the truth. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. They were not authentic. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Ah. John, I'm not sure I know what well, he's not saying we're omniscient. <laughs> what he is saying, this is what I was referring to a few minutes ago, is you have God's truth, the truth that you need, everything that you need to walk with him in this hostile world. You know what you need to know if you are steadfast in the power of his Holy Spirit to be a consistent student of his word, he will disclose more and more and more and more truth about what he is like, but also his ways. Just earlier, I was just talking with a disciple here before we got going with the worship service, and we were talking about the ways of God. And I said to that, young man? Well, I call it the manna plan. We are not to run ahead and try to get everything set in place for God. We are to do our one day at a time walk. If we try to solve next year's problem today, we can often actually mess things up. Do today's work today. Allow him to shepherd you Allow him to shepherd you. And the way you do that is dwelling in his word, being men and women of the word, so that when we encounter a difficulty, when we encounter a situation, immediately what comes to our mind is what God has said about it. And we walk by the strength of his indwelling Holy Spirit. We walk in that truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah? He is Antichrist. Who def- denies the Father and the Son. He denies what, in fact, the Hebrew prophets had indicated to us we could expect, who denies the Father and the Son. Oh, well, I don't have to worship Jesus. I can worship God without worshiping Jesus. No, you can't. No, you can not. If you do not honor the Son whom the Father has honored, into whose hands he has placed all authority in heaven and on earth, you cannot honor the Father. You cannot honor the Father. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Well, I don't have to have Jesus to have God. Oh, yes, you do. He who denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has The father also. You mess with one of my kids, you don't just have a problem with them, you got a problem with me. You got a problem with me. You mess with one of my grandkids, you have a real problem with me. By the way, our youngest grandchild is about to turn two next Sunday. So, just, you try messing with him, you got a problem with me, okay? Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. What's John doing? He's returning to the initial message of this letter, that which was from the beginning. I declare to you that eternal relationship with the eternal God who is from the beginning. One of the things that John understands, of course, he's guided by the Holy Spirit as he writes this letter. Repetition is not a problem. <laughs> oh, have I? Let me remind you of what I've already said more than once in this letter. Abide with him who is from the beginning. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. It is not just the beginning of your relationship with God, but that which is a from the beginning message that you heard from the beginning. Therefore, let that abide in you which we heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, finds its dwelling in you, it makes its home in you. If God's truth finds a home in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If it finds a welcome home in you, you will find a welcoming home in God the Father and God the Son. Is that where I want to live? That is where I want to live. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. This isn't just unending life. This isn't just, every human being's immortal. We're all gonna exist forever. Eternal life is a welcome presence, welcome in the welcoming presence of God. This is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life life, a welcome in his presence. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Be aware there are deceivers out there. There have been people in your congregation who have departed. Why? Because they couldn't, wouldn't, accept, tolerate what was true. But the anointing which you have from him abides in you. And what is that anointing? It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit which comes to every believer the instant we authentically trust in Christ. But the anointing which you have received from him abides, has found a home in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Let me tell you something, folks. You don't need me. You don't need Darren. You don't need... Those with the gift of teaching or... The spiritual gifts are aids. They're not necessities. We can dwell on a desert island with just the book itself and receive everything that God wants us to understand. Now, he has gifted certain individuals so as to move that process along, help us with that, but are they... Necessities? No. They're helps. They're helps. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Why? You have the the teacher, the one who penned the Scripture himself, God the Holy Spirit, is dwelling with you to make his own message known. Those who are gifted as teachers are simply an aid to their process, not a necessity. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide, you will make your home in him. Where do you live? Oh, I live in Jesus. Oh, I live in the presence of God. I thought you were a Texan. Well, no, I'm a Heavenin. <laughs> I'm a Heavenin. I'm a fatherin. I'm a sonin. I'm a Trinitian. I'm a Holy Spiritin. I am I dwell in God. And it is the place of my residence that is far more important than the physical place I live. Or the stuff that surrounds me. No, it is that invisible God in whom I dwell, who is the God with eternal, who brings to me eternal joy. (sighs) Go home, open the book, and say, Author, would you please speak to me through your word and give me accurate, authentic understanding of your message so that I may dwell in it, walk in it, and experience the joy of it? Let's pray together. Our Father, our Father, What does it say in the passage? Little children, he's your father. He's your father. Our father, always attentive to our prayers and our needs. We ask you that this week we will be men and women of the word of the Holy Spirit. That we will deliberately take the time to sit at your feet, to be instructed by you that we may walk truly with an understanding that our sins are forgiven. You are our Father. We are equipped. We have every weapon of battle necessary to defeat the enemy and we dwell in the Father, the one who is from eternity. And we have a right and an expectation of joy in your presence. In your name, shepherd Jesus, we pray. Amen.